Have fun? Okay. Morning and happy Sabbath, church. <laughs> Once again, I want to welcome you all here, visitors, friends, family, to church this morning. Um, in the testimony of Joyce, uh, brought me back to the song which we sung just before we opened up. And I want to, just before we go into the sermon today, the last verse, I'm not sure if you realized it, the first two verses which we sang in times like these, they were sang in such a way, they were sung in such a way that it, in a sense it wasn't personal, though you're speaking in a second person you could say. But um, the last verse was made very personal. And I want to know, are you very sure that your anchor holds and grips the solid rock? Because when you sing this song in times like these, because this is really what it's speaking about. In the times which we are living in, we need to make sure that we are holding on to our anchor. You see? And where does our anchor actually reside? Is it just floating needlessly? It's supposed to be anchored somewhere, is that correct? Is that rock, Jesus Christ? That's what I ask. And this morning, the message that I believe the Lord has shared with me, which I believe I would... Um, be a blessing to you this morning is entitled ye are my friends ye are my friends it's not my words this is actually the words of jesus christ here speaking ye are my friends and christ is making that personal and are you his friend today you have to ask yourself this question and just before we go into the message i'd just like you to bow your heads with me once again as we pray our Father which art in heaven, this morning we come before you. And Lord, I especially come before you humbling myself that the words which I speak may not be my words. For Lord, you know the wrestle that I went through in even preparing this. And I just ask that you speak through me. And Lord, may your Holy Spirit be the teacher this morning. And may each one here be open to hear. And not just hear but to apply these things into their own life, for we need to acknowledge Jesus truly as our friend and what he has done for us. Bless us now, for we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Ye are my friends. I ask this question, and you can answer back. I don't want it to be silent here this morning. What is a friend? What is a friend? Someone you can count on. Someone you trust. Someone that's always there for you, another person? Someone you can confide in. Okay. Someone that you, pardon? Someone you can care for? Okay. Anything else? What is a friend? A companion. Very good one. Someone who's there when you need them. All good descriptions. Um, this is something we need to acknowledge today. What is a friend? And I have a few things here. One who knows us. Someone who has a mutual bond with us, meaning someone that has something in common with us 
or an experience they have had which is in common with us. Someone who's a supporter when we need them. Someone, putting it in the opposite, someone who is not an enemy. Okay? That is a friend. Someone who is familiar to us. Someone who is helpful. Someone who loves us. I want us to acknowledge what is a friend. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Turn in your Bibles with me to Proverbs chapter 18. Proverbs 18, and let's look at verse 24. Just see a few descriptions which the Bible speaks about. Proverbs 28, sorry, Proverbs 18, sorry, in verse 24. And it reads, we all there? Amen. A man that hath friends must show himself how? Friendly. A friend or someone who has friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend, it says, that sticketh closer than a brother. Who is that friend? Jesus Christ. Amen. In the next chapter before, um, chapter 17, sorry. The chapter before, Proverbs 17. Let's look firstly at verse 9. It says, he that covereth a transgression does what? Seeks love. But he that repeateth a matter separateth what? Friends. So a friend will do what? In contrast to what it says here. What would a friend do? Pardon? Okay, who covered the transgression. He would not reveal. And... Um, in 1 Peter 4 and verse 8, it says that charity or love shall cover the multitude of sins. This is what a friend will do. Verse 17 here. A friend does what? A friend loveth at all times. And it says a brother is born for adversity. The things that we may go through. This is what a friend is. Now, this part about he covers transgressions and he's the one that seeketh love, there's another point. Because there's someone who is doing the opposite in our lives. Someone who is called in Revelation 12 and verse 10 and the accuser of the brethren. What does that really mean? Someone who accuses the brethren. I'm not sure if you remember in Zechariah chapter 3, there was an incident where Joshua, as a high priest, was being accused before God as someone. He's a sinner. He was dressed in um, rags, filthy garments, as the Bible says. And who was accusing him before the Lord? Satan was accusing him before the Lord. And you can write this down, Zechariah chapter 3, verses 1 to 4. Now, what Jesus was doing, what the Lord was doing was saying, I have forgiven his sins. Put a clean garment upon him. I'll cover his sins. So a friend will cover, will not want to show to everyone, yes, you know, this person, don't, don't love him. He's a sinner. He's no good. She's no good. A friend will cover and respect you. Will not show openly to everyone what you have done and Probably you may have had friends who have seen what you've done wrong and just 
gossiped about you, shared with everyone, oh, they've done this, they've done that. Open up the things that you didn't want people to see. But in the Bible, it speaks about some people who were called friends of God. And there are two examples. First one is seen is Exodus chapter 33. You can quickly go there in, in your Bibles. Exodus 33 and verse 11. In Exodus 33, we see what does a friend do? Verse 11, and the Lord spake, Exodus 33, verse 11, and the Lord spake unto Moses face to face, as a man speaketh how? To his friend. So Moses, the way he communed with God was as how? A friend. So Moses, therefore, was what to God? A friend of God. And you can also see, it's also mentioned in 2 Chronicles 20 and verse 7 and Isaiah 41 and verse 8. But there was someone else who was called a friend of God. Turn with me to James chapter 2. Hebrews and then James. James chapter 2 and verse 23. And we'll see why he, this man was called a friend of God. James chapter 3. And verse 23. It reads, And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Who? Abraham. What did he do? Believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness. And he was called what? The friend of God. He believed God. And therefore was imputed unto him for righteousness. He was called the friend of God. So we see Moses, he spoke to God face to face. And Abraham simply believed. And even one of his experiences that he went through, even to the point of death, the death of his own son, he believed God. And therefore he was called the friend of God. Can we be called the friends of God? Of God today. There was another man in the Bible. Doesn't say he was a friend of God, but we know he was a friend of God because he is with God, with the angels. He is in heaven today. And this man was called Enoch. What did he do with God? He walked with God. So a friend must also walk with God. Are you walking with God today? That's what I ask. Because he wants us to forever be with him. That's what a friend wants to be. He wants to continually be with his friend forever. Enoch walked with God. Now there's something else about a friend in the Bible. And it may be seen as, mm, I don't want this type of friend, but in the Bible this is a true friend. And you know, Bible's turning me to Proverbs 27 and verse 6. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. And we'll see what it is about this text that we see about a friend. Proverbs 27 and verse 6. It says, faithful are the what? The wounds, it says. Ooh. 
Faithful are the wounds of what? Ooh. You want to be wounded by your friend? But why? What is the wounds for? It says, faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the what? The kisses of an enemy are deceitful. Now, what is this talking about? The wounds of a friend. Now, put it in contrast to the kisses of an enemy. Now, there was an experience in the Bible. Jesus, he had gone through the Garden of Gethsemane, and just after those three agonizing prayers, a friend, or so-called friend, came up to him and did what to him? He kissed him. And that kiss wasn't a kiss of love, a kiss of, you know, I am your friend, I, I want to be with you. It was a kiss of betrayal. Now, this so-called friend betrayed Jesus. But it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. What are these wounds? These wounds are actually not literal wounds. Because there's another text which will see what wounds also mean. But faithful are the wounds of a friend. It simply means this. Have you remembered um, in Revelation chapter 3, Revelation 2 and 3 speaks about the seven churches, okay? And in Revelation chapter 3, there is a last church, and what is that church called? Laodicea. Now, within the account of the Laodicean church, is there anything good that is actually said about that church or the condition of that church? No. But what is actually said is for the church to acknowledge their condition, the circumstance they are really in, to acknowledge they are in need of a change. And the only way they can be changed is when they acknowledge their true friend, the one who introduces himself to them. The one that, that is also called the true and faithful witness. That's how he describes himself, the amen as well. Um, so here when he speaks about faithful are the wounds of a friend, it means one who will counsel, who will reprove, who will rebuke when it is needed. So a friend wouldn't just cover up everything and, you know, they see you do something and they'll just like, okay, I just want to pass that over. I don't want to think about it. And not help that friend to overcome in the areas where they need that help. So a friend will counsel and reprove and rebuke, but how will they do it? Simply in love. How can Jesus identify with me? I ask this question. Jesus is that friend, but how can he identify himself with me? Now, many times when we think especially about a friend and think about identification, something always pops up in our minds. And this word called, I say, judging, always comes up. And the reason being, when we see other people, we always want to compare them with ourselves. 
the experiences we have gone through, the things that we may have gone through in our life, we want to compare, can they identify with me? Sometimes it's just a slight little, you know, judgment, okay, can I identify with this person? We judge just to know, okay, what have they gone through? What it is that will allow me to click with them? But sometimes it goes to the extent that we look upon them as, okay, I can't do anything with them. They don't know me. They don't understand me. But is this how we look at Jesus Christ? Because Jesus Christ went through so much, but he didn't go through what I mean as in go through as in he did not subject himself to sin in any way. Because we are sinful beings. And we've subjected ourselves to sin. So when we look at Christ, and I could tell you the truth to, to this fact. I've been many times on the streets of London where I'm from. And I've come across many people, especially young people. They say, okay, you believe in Jesus, but did Jesus smoke weed as I smoke weed? Did Jesus drink alcohol as I smoke alcohol? Can he really identify with the struggles that I am going through in this circumstance? Did he sleep around? Did he have, you know, sexual relationship with this woman or that man that I have had? Can he really identify with the struggles that I am going through? And this is a point which we need to acknowledge. What did Jesus really go through here upon this earth? How did he come to be our friend. That friend that can identify himself with me. Let's turn in our Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Starting with verse 5. It says, let this mind be in you, which is in whom? Which is also in Christ Jesus. What did he go through? Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. This here is just simply speaking about the divinity of Jesus Christ. He was one with God. And it was not seen as robbery because when Jesus Christ was here upon the earth, Many times the Pharisees and scribes, they said this man blasphemes because he's saying he, God is his father. He is so close to God as if he is divine. So we can see Jesus is divine. Who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But it says in verse 7, but made himself of what? No reputation and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made how? In the likeness of man. Amen? Made in the likeness of man. What does this mean? I'm going to focus on these words in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation. In the Greek, do you know what this, these words actually mean? No reputation. Simply means to make empty. No reputation. 
to make empty. You ask, okay. Jesus made himself of no reputation, or he emptied himself. What did he empty himself of? Does anyone know? What did Jesus Christ empty himself of? His divine nature, okay, yeah. What else did he empty himself of? Of self? Yes, definitely. That's why it says he humbled himself. Anything else? What did Jesus empty himself of? I'm going to mention a few points. He emptied himself of this point, omnipotence. What is omnipotence? Being all-powerful. How can we acknowledge this point? In John 5 and verse 30, I'll read it in your hearing. John 5 and verse 30. Jesus himself said this. I can of mine own self do what? Nothing. Now, when you look to the Old Testament and you see the Jews acknowledge God as he can do everything. So now Jesus here, he's upon the earth and he says, I can of myself do what? Nothing. He emptied himself of that all-powerfulness. I want to acknowledge a quote in the Desire of Ages, just something so that you can remember. In Desire of Ages, page 336, it says, that power he had laid down. And he says, I can of mine own self do nothing, John 5.30. He trusted in the Father's might. It was in faith, faith in God's love and care that Jesus rested. And the power of that word which still the storm was the power of God. So when we see the account when he went upon the, the lake and he stilled the storm, many times we say, wow, Jesus is powerful. But whose power did he actually rely upon? It says his father's might. Jesus himself. He also did this. He emptied himself of memory. Hmm. Jesus emptied himself of memory. Remember in, in Luke 2.52, and he increased in wisdom and stature and in how? In favor with God and man. Luke 2 and verse 52. So he increased or he grew in wisdom and stature. It says. So that means he had to learn in order to grow even in knowledge. But he put aside memory. Because one thing, from a child, his mother sat him upon his, her knee and taught him the scriptures. Now, the scriptures are what? They are simply the same words of Christ. So he had spoken them thousands of years before, but he was being taught his own words. He emptied himself of memory. 
another point to acknowledge here. Desire of Ages, page 70. Since he gained knowledge as we may do, his intimate acquaintance with the scriptures shows how diligently his early years were given to the study of God's word. And spread out before him was the great library of God's created work. So he spent also time in nature. So he could acknowledge even the words which he'd spoken thousands of years before. He who had made all things studied the lessons which his own hand had written in earth and sea and sky. Apart from the unholy ways of the world, he gathered stores of scientific knowledge from nature. He studied the lives of plants and animals and the life of man. From his earliest years, he was possessed of one purpose. He lived to bless others. Amen? He lived to bless others. So he emptied himself of omnipotence or powerfulness and of memory, the things he himself had shared in his own words. Another thing, foreknowledge. He could know the end from the beginning, but he emptied himself of that. How can we acknowledge this? In Mark 13 and verse 32, you don't have to turn there. Speaking about the second coming, who did he say knows when the second coming is? Ooh, he said the Father only. He says the angels don't even know. He says man doesn't even know. He says even the Son of Man does not even know. But the Father only. So he emptied himself even of foreknowledge. So he only relied upon the Father now so that he can go through his experiences. One thing to acknowledge, in Desire of Ages, page 147, before he came to earth, the plan lay out before him, perfect in all its details. So they had already gone through the plans. But as he walked among men, he was guided step by step by the Father's will. He didn't rely upon his own will, but the Father's will. He did not hesitate to act at the appointed time. And with the same submission, he waited until the time had come. In page 208, it also goes on, but the Son of Man, or Son of God, sorry, was surrendered to the Father's will and dependent, it says, upon his power. So utterly was Christ emptied of self that he made no plans for himself. He accepted God's plans for him. And day by day he unfolded, or the Father unfolded his plans. So should we depend upon God that our lives may be the simple outworking of his will. Every day we must be dependent as Jesus Christ, upon the Father's will. Another point. He emptied himself even of glory. In John 17, 1 to 5, you can read it later on. He asked his Father, glorify now me with the glory that I had before with you. So even the character of God, he said, now glorify me. Why? Because throughout his time here upon this earth, what was he developing? He was developing the character of the Father. 
So what is expected of us today? We ought to also develop that same character of Jesus Christ. This is what is expected. He didn't have that character before. It was grown. It was developed. So, did Christ come any better than we did? <laughs> Can he identify with us? He emptied himself. So I asked this point. Was Jesus acting? <laughs> was it a play just being acted out? He knew what to speak. Who knew what to do? And therefore just acted it out just the next minute? No. He also had to grow in that love for his father. He had to grow in that love to depend upon his father. And so must we today. Our love for our father, for Jesus Christ, must continue to grow every single day. We must be dependent upon him. What else did he do? He came. It says, go back to Philippians chapter 2, if you're still there. Philippians chapter 2. Goes on in verse 7. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a what? A servant. Jesus said to his disciples, he who is greatest among you must learn to be what? A servant, a minister, someone who serves others. But he also became a servant in another way. And the way he could identify was seen in this point. Because when, hmm, let me say it this way, 2 Corinthians 5 and verse 21, it mentions this. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. When you're there, say amen. It says, for he hath made him to be what? To be sin for us who knew what? Who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Why aren't we in the presence of God today? Isaiah chapter 59, verse 2. Our iniquities have what? Separated us from God. So what did Christ then have to do? He had to come in our likeness. Sinful human nature. Who became sin for us. But he had to overcome sin in our nature. How can we acknowledge this point? Matthew 1 and verse 21 says, Jesus was called Jesus, why? He came to save his people from what? From their sins. And then in Hebrews chapter 2, turn it in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2, and look at verse 17 and 18. It 
says, wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto what? His brethren, brothers or friends, you could say, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. Verse 18, for in that he himself had suffered being what? Being tempted, he is able to succor or help them that are what? James 1 and verse 13 says, God cannot be tempted with evil. Was Jesus tempted? So how did Jesus have to come? In the same nature as us, because the enemy can tempt us, but God, he cannot tempt. So Jesus had to come like us to be tempted. And that's why in Matthew chapter 4, just after he had been tempted, though, three temptations, lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, as First John brings out, it says that he kind of like fell down weak. The struggle of temptation was great. Because the enemy besailed or, or hit him hard with temptation. But did he overcome? Amen. But how did Jesus come? Turn your Bibles to Romans 8 and verse 3. Romans chapter 8 and verse 3. Did they say Amen. Romans 8 verse 3 says, For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of how? Of sinful flesh and for sin, condemned sin in the flesh. And many times people say, you know, Jesus came like Adam before he fell, so that's why he could overcome. But no, as we acknowledge in the points that Christ had to give up, he had to empty himself of these things. He didn't come like Adam before he fell. He came like Adam after the fall. Christ was tempted. And why? Turn your Bibles once again to Hebrews chapter 4. Let's look at verse 15. Just before we come to our text, which is talking about Jesus as our friend. Hebrews chapter 4. And let's look at verse 15. It says, For we have not an high priest which cannot. Now it's two negatives together. We have not an high priest which cannot. Be tempted with the feeling of our infirmities. Or putting it in the positive, we have an high priest who is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. How can we acknowledge this? But was in all points what? Tempted like as we are, yet how? Without sin. Amen? Yet without sin. What did Jesus Christ then do for us? What does he say about us? John chapter 15, turn in your Bibles with me. 
John chapter 15, and let's look at verse 13. It says, greater love hath no man than this, than a man do what? Lay down his life. For whom? For his friends. Christ laid down his life for his friends. He went through the life that we ought to go through because he left us an example. And he overcame in the same nature that we go through. He overcame sin in that nature. And was it said, he laid down his life for his friends. Why did he lay down his life for his friends? Because greater love has no man than this, it says. Greater love has no man. One of my favorite texts in the Bible and I keep on saying this, Romans chapter 5 and verse 8. It says, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ did what for us? Christ died for us. And in the verses before, it speaks about a good man, some may even dare to die for a good man, you know. For a righteous man, some may even dare to die for that person. But it says that Jesus, while we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. But was it just to die and okay, they're sinners, I'll die for them, and that's that. They're okay now. Was that it? Be there in Romans chapter 5. Go to verse 10. Romans 5 and verse 10. Hmm. It says, For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by what? By the death of his son. Much more being reconciled. So what was he doing at the cross? He was reconciling us to God. And what does it say at the end? Verse 10. Much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by what? Oh. We shall be saved by how? Oh. So at the cross, he was uniting us with the Father once again. But then, what must now happen after that? We are saved by how? His life. What must happen with his life? How does that save us? How can I live? That's the question we must then ask. How can I live as Jesus did? He came like me, but he overcame. He was victorious in every aspect of his life. How then can I live that life? That's the real question now for every single person here upon this earth. Because Jesus came to show us the example because he came like we. He understood the struggles that we go through from day to day. He knows that it's hard to overcome those sins. Whether it be in alcohol, whether it be in drugs, 
whether it be in a sexual relationship which is outside of marriage. He says, he identifies and he says, we're saved by his life, but how? Turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 3. This is where our concluding points now. How can I live as Jesus did? Ephesians chapter 3, and let's start with verse 16. It says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory, to be what? Strengthened with might by how? By how? By his spirit in where? In the inner man. What does he do then? What does the Holy Spirit then do? Verse 17. That Christ may dwell where? In your hearts by what? By that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that ye being rooted, it says, and grounded how? In love. When now the Holy Spirit, working in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love, what will happen? It says, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is what? The breadth and length and depth and height, it says. Now, just want to pause here. There's a song that we sing in England. It goes, the love of Jesus is so wonderful. The love of Jesus is so wonderful. The love of Jesus is so wonderful. Oh, wonderful love. So high, you can't get over it. So low, you can't get under it. So wide, you can't even get around it. Oh, Wonderful love. Are you experiencing this love today? The wonderful love of Jesus working in your life. Oh, wonderful love. So high, so low, so wide. We can comprehend, it says, with all saints. It says, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is a breadth and length and depth and height. And then it goes on in verse 19. And to know, it says, the love of of Christ which passeth knowledge. So in just knowing about the love of Christ, okay, Christ died upon the cross for me. What will happen? That ye might be what? And this is where the crux comes. What does it say at the end? That ye might be what? Filled, it says, with the fullness of of God. Jesus wants to fill you with his fullness. It says we strengthen with the might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by what? By faith. The Bible says in Romans 10, 17, faith cometh by what? hearing. And hearing by what? The word of God. How do we even know the gospel if we've never even picked up the Bible? How can we know the love of God? If we don't have the word of Christ. Because Christ is simply the word. And in John chapter 1, it says the word was made what? 
the word was made flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory glory being the character of god glory as of the only begotten of god so christ will dwell in our hearts it says by faith but what must we do romans 12 and i know this is read in sabbath school so I hope you would acknowledge this point once again. Romans chapter 12, starting with verse 1, 1 to 3. Romans 12, verses 1 to 3. It says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, it says, by the mercies of God that you do what? Present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God which is your reasonable service. Verse 2. And be not conformed, it says to what? I want to mention a text here. Because it says, be not conformed to this world. In James chapter 4, it says, the friends of this world is enmity with God. So if we are friends with this world or we love the things of this world, because a friend is something we acquaint with. So if we want to just acquaint ourselves with the things of this world, what does it say? It is enmity against God. Now, listen, it says enmity against God. In Genesis 3 and verse 15, there was a prophecy that was, was, was told to us that there will be enmity be put before the serpent and the woman and the seed of the serpent and the seed of the woman there will be enmity between so upon the cross let me say it this way so that you can acknowledge this because it was speaking about the cross when christ upon the cross was uniting uniting man with god once again what was he giving to man that enmity so that we will not be friends with this world but we will be friends of whom friends with God he showed us that love greater love has no man than this than a man laid down his life for his friends so enmity must be put into the heart so that we would not love this world we would not love sin but we would love whom we love God. That's what he was giving to us. Enmity between Jesus and Satan and between us and sin. Just before we close, how can we see this also in, in example? If you remember a story, Genesis chapter 39, um, Joseph was taken to Egypt, is that correct? And in Egypt, he was putting a, in a house, or he was bought by a man called Potiphar, and he was put in his house as a servant, and he became so great because only of his submittance to God. And Potiphar's wife was tempting him, and it says that he, she tempted him day after day. So this is a daily temptation, a daily struggle that Joseph had to go through in Egypt in Potiphar's house. 
She wanted to lie with him. She kept on beckoning him, come, 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 lie with me. When it came to a point, he had to just tell her outright, I cannot do this great sin against God. I can't do this great wickedness, sorry, and sin against God. What did Joseph do? James chapter 4 and verse 6, it gives us a sequence of what we must do. Tells us firstly to submit ourselves to God. If we don't submit, how we do the next step? It says resist the devil. Through Potiphar's wife, the devil was trying to bring him down. He was a man favored amongst all those around him. And even the enemy saw he will get too far if I don't bring him down. And he was using Potiphar's wife. But he says, submit yourself therefore to God. Resist the devil. And what will the devil have to do? The devil will have to flee. But in the case of Joseph, what did he do? Oh, he had to flee because obviously this woman was just too desperate. <laughs> but it tells us the enemy will actually flee from us when we submit ourselves to God. And how do we submit ourselves to God? Jesus showed us the example. Did you know that? The, when he was tempted, what did he do? It is written. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. What was that doing? He acknowledged the words of God. That is where I can have the power. Of mine own self, what did he say? I can do what? Nothing. So he took those words, words of faith. It wasn't just loosely believed, words of faith. He submitted himself to God. And what did he do to the devil? He resisted him. And then after those temptations, what did the devil have to do? The devil just had to flee. Let's turn to our last text. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. First John chapter 4 and start with verse 8. And we're going in closing. It says in, sorry, verse 8. says, he that loveth not knoweth what? Not God. For God is what? God is love. Verse 9. In this was manifested the love of God toward us. Because that God sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live how? Oh, we live how? Through him. Verse 10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. And sent his son to be what? The propitiation for our sins. What is propitiation? Propitiation. Sorry? Substitution, yes. Okay. In the Greek it mentions an expiator. 
or someone or one who makes amends or reparation or make up for someone's wrong or compensate for someone's wrong or helping those who have wronged. So that's what Christ became for us, someone who could help us. And how did he do it? He simply paid by his life. Romans 6.23, for the wages of what? Sin is he died the death we should have gone through, especially the second death. But what must we do? First John 1 John 1.9 also mentioned in Sabbath school this morning, if we confess what? If we confess our sins, he is what? Faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to do? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we must come to Christ confessing, yes, we are sinners, but what does he want to do? Forgive us, not only that, but also to cleanse us. We must continue to come to him. Now, in 1 John 2 and verse 1, it says, My little children, these things write I unto you, that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an what? An advocate with the Father, whom is what? Jesus Christ, the righteous. The advocate here in context as well with the propitiation which we saw in first john an advocate is an intercessor a comforter a lawyer someone who pleads on our behalf so when we pray what ought we to acknowledge about jesus christ he's before the father doing what interceding on our behalf but it goes also beyond that because not only is he interceding on our behalf, but he's interceding on our behalf as one with us. So he's one that understood what we're going through. So when we say, Lord, forgive me, and with true repentance, we don't want to go back to do it again. When we say, God, forgive me and cleanse me, how is Jesus looking at us? I identify with Brother Lord. He's asking for forgiveness. And Father, this is what I've gone through for him. He's my, what? Friend. I want him to be with me. He's my friend. Whatever we may go through, he's there waiting. They want to overcome so that my spirit can be in them. Because, how can I say it? In John chapter 16, let me just go to that verse just before we close. John chapter 16 and verse 13. It says, how be it when he, the spirit of truth is come, he will guide you into what? All truth. But whatsoever he shall hear, that shall he what? Speak, and he will show you things to come. And also... He will only speak the things of Christ. So the Holy Spirit is only doing the work of Christ in us. He's living out the life of Christ in our own. Because what is Jesus? Jesus is the way. He is the truth. The Spirit guides us into what? All truth. All the ways, all the truth of Jesus Christ. Everything that Jesus Christ went through wants to be in us our life. That's why he wants to lead us. That's why it's said in Ephesians chapter 3, by the Holy Spirit working in the inner man. 
for the fullness of God to be in us. That's what God can do for us through his Holy Spirit. But how will Jesus come back? In Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27, 28, it says that he's coming back without sin unto salvation. It says without sin unto salvation. All sins will have been blotted out. All those which we have confessed and forsaken. Because we have confessed all to whom? Our friend. He's been able to blot out our sins because they are now one like me. That's how he, that's the closeness we can have with God. And there's a promise. Why the Laodicean church, why a friend may wound us by reproof, by rebuke, by chasing us. In Revelation chapter 3 and in verse 20 and 21. I want to read this promise which Christ gave to that church which we are today. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. And what is the promise that he goes on to say? To him that overcometh. Will I grant to sit with whom? With me. His friends will sit with him, it says, in my throne, even as I also overcame and I'm set down with my father in his throne. You want to sit on the throne with Jesus Christ, your friend. Do you truly want to be with your friend? That's what I ask today. Our closing hymn is hymn number 412.